Hello and welcome to Watermark's Church Leadership Podcast, a conversation with church leaders for church leaders. I'm your host, Adam Tarno, joined as always by my co-host, John McGee. John, let's let the listeners know what's going on today. So this is part two of our eldering conversation, and today we're going to listen in as the elders talk about both the installment process and then also common questions that they get. So let's go ahead and listen in. All right, Todd, we've alluded to it a few times as we've been having this conversation about the uh, installation of new elders. We're about ready to do that here in a few days where you're adding a couple guys to the leadership team. Why don't you, guys, why don't you talk about that, that whole process and, and how that goes for right, us? I'm going to do this. I'll just give a little history of Watermark, and then I'll pitch these guys to answer the question. Here's the history. Uh, about two years in, they can get that message, by the way, that I gave, you know, uh, the beginning of the end or the greatest day in the history of our church, uh, watermark.org. But... Um, what I would, would say is that we then had uh, initially four guys that led for a couple of years, and we added a fifth, and that was a guy um, that we initially talked to about joining us and felt like there was just a little bit more time he needed in the process before we added him. And, and then we served for 10 years together. Mm-hmm. Two guys rolled off, not because they were disqualified. We don't have term limits because we don't see term limits in the Scripture. I'm not going to say it's sin if you've got term limits. I'm just going to say it's going to be hard for you to form the relationships that we've already talked about if every three years there's a completely new board and every year half of them roll off or whatever it is that you kind of do. So just pick your problems, okay? And I'm just saying the Scriptures don't admonish you to have term limits on pastors. Let me remind you of that. All right? So um, we haven't had it. So after 10 years, two guys rolled off because uh, time restrictions and commitments. Their, their business world changed in such a way that they were traveling more and weren't able to be consistently present with us and with the body. And so uh, those guys are still members of our church, exceedingly... uh, One's on staff now, actually, (laughs) who later joined our staff. Um, And then about four years, five, six, what is it, Bo? Four and a half. Four and a half years ago, we added Bo to the team. And then uh, one of the guys that was with Dean and I in in the early days rolled off this summer, and we're down to three, which we can't go less than that. So we, we... became very intentional adding a couple. So, Bo, talk about, Dean, talk about the process we use whenever we're looking to add to our team. Uh, Sure. So uh, one part of the process is that uh, we are constantly with the flock and assessing leaders. Uh, As we noted with um, a model where you have a leader for every eight to ten members, um, we feel a burden to continue to look for and raise up leaders. And so uh, some of the men that we were encouraged by, uh, we just purposefully got more time with them. And part of the getting more time with them is just affirming the First Timothy 3 and Titus 1 um, qualifications of an elder. Hey, well, I'm going to stick in right here because people listening, you said we want a leader for every 8 to 10 persons. Some people are thinking that means elder. You didn't mean elder when you said that. No, I mean just a shepherd yeah, of the flock. Of the kind of leader of a smaller community, okay? Because obviously we'd have a ton of elders if we had one for every 8 or 10. And what you're saying is you looked among those and you asked people, hey, who are guys that are doing exceedingly well with their family, with their smaller communities? that are contributing well to your ministry, we're constantly soliciting those names. Yes. And that's what you meant. And we often talk about there are lots of people that are eldering, and there's a much smaller group that are in the the office of the elder. And and so uh, once we identify men that we think uh, have the qualifications, uh, we're trying to do ministry with them and seeing the practical outflowing of that. And so we'll we'll find excuses uh, to pull them into pastoral situations, uh, that that we're investing in. Uh, we'll also just try to get relational time with them. And as we know, if we our primary job is to to shepherd one another, uh, we're just making sure that uh, there's a a chemistry uh, to how we connect one another uh, to make sure that we're effective. Uh, in addition to that, uh, we're spending time uh, with their wives. 
uh, because we know that uh, husband and wife are one. And so um, that person, the wife, is going to be spending more time with each of us than we will with one another. And we want to make sure that there is a like-mindedness on that dimension. Uh, and then we have a number of theological topics where we ask them to very uh, detailed write-up of where they land on issues, uh, because our goal in adding new elders is not to reopen uh, doctrinal issues on every topic. And so we want to make sure we have a like-mindedness in how we approach the Scriptures. Uh, and then finally, we spend a lot of time with their coworkers, their community group, just making sure that those who are spending time with them um, would be encouraged by and not confused by the determination we have that they should be added to the group. So if you're sitting out there and you're wondering, what are those magical questions? Hey, I don't think they are magical, but uh, you can find those uh, on our blog, or I'm sorry, on our website, uh, watermark.org. You can just search for 36 questions we ask our elders, and uh, and the subtitle is that you should ask yourself as well. And so I take it that those um, those are important questions, uh, but that's also, Bo and, and Dean, giving you guys an insight into the way those guys think and how well they know their Bible and how they're just kind of factoring all that, all that stuff. Is that right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think what Second Chronicles 7 teaches us is that the eyes of the Lord go to and throw throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And so we want uh, men who are fully committed to Christ. And, and so the, the 36 questions is just the, the opportunity for us to hear from them on topics that we come across all the time that are deeply meaningful in us understanding their ability to lead and how they intend to lead. Uh, but as important of, uh, as, uh, as that is, is our long history, and Bo, Bo referenced this, our long history of shared ministry with these men. I'm talking decades. And we have seen them demonstrate their faithfulness, their care for the flock, their biblical preparedness. We are not hasty in selecting these men. We, we live with them just like we live with each other. <clears throat> Pardon me. So when we finally um, believe the Lord is moving us to act, there, there is a long depth of relationship and practical ministry experience that we have with each of them. And then last but not least is um, we serve, as I mentioned earlier, as one with our wives. And so the marriage relationship is uh, incredibly important to understand how they function together. Bo mentioned that a lot of shared ministry is a lot like our marriage relationship. And so we want to we want to understand uh, the, the wife just as much as we want to understand the husband. And so we do. We spend a lot of time as couples getting to know them and, and um, understanding what it's going to be like to lead collectively together. Yeah. And so this is where I can maybe elaborate and bring some clarity to that crazy comment that I made earlier about why we have women who you know help us in the leadership of the church. Men are called to be one with their wives. We don't ever ask any of us to not share something with our wives that we share with each other. We just say, hey, we assume that you're going to lead your family the way you lead yourself. That's a qualification that's there. Our wives have perspectives that we as men don't have. Our wives lead in uh, re-engage ministry, lead in women's ministry, lead in tapestry ministry, and equip uh, disciple. Equip disciple. Our, our wives are all throughout the church and are in constant contact with other women. women. And so when we uh, are talking about things, you know, about how we think we should lead the church. We have women with us, okay, that are going to give input to what a woman might think, and uh, and so just like in the leadership of our own homes, we don't do anything by getting out in front or lagging behind. Uh, we make sure that we get a perspective of our wives and from other women leaders in the church and on staff. The last thing is we are always we're about to put two guys in, right? Finalize that process, which. Um, once we have done all our due diligence that Bo made reference to and Dean did, we then, uh, well, part of the other thing we do is we talk to 
their employer. Mm-hmm. Bo mentioned that. Okay, and and uh, all the folks that. People, and what does it, what does it even mean, Todd? You yeah. talk to their employer. Yeah, well, we call them. We just go, hey, man, listen, uh, and and they might even be believers. But we call them and say, hey, listen, um, we don't surprise them. The guy that we've been having this conversation with will say, hey, you know, Todd and Bo are going to call you. Dean and Bo are going to call you, and uh, or we take him to lunch and we just say, hey, listen, you know, I don't know what you know about us in this institution called Watermark, but we're Jesus' church. And um, we want to ask, this really matters to us, you know, if you knew that the guy that works for you or is your boss, both of those, you know, um, was a leader in the church of Jesus Christ, would that discourage you? Would it make you curious? Would it make you want to be a part of that family or would, you know, or not? Because is the way this man conducts himself, right, Does in his workplace, does he uh, work with such excellence that you're like, I wish I had more guys like him? You know, I love the statement. We just did a whole message on work, you know, here at Watermark. And one of the things I said is that, you know, I think this is a quote from a guy actually I read, which said that the primary work of the church is the church at work. Okay. And so is this guy at work um, doing everything with such excellence that you go, man, who who forms this guy's worldview and thinking? Uh, is he a blessing? Is he at peace with his coworkers? Is he, uh, uh, you know, creating problems or is he creating harmony and peace and leadership where he's at? So we want to know, okay, what do you think? Because they've got to be. It's one of the qualifications that you see in First Timothy three that um, that they're a person who is of good repute, okay, and so certainly above reproach. What others think? Is this guy prudent, temperate, respectable? If not, then he's disqualified. Okay, and then once we do all that, all the different relationships that these guys already mentioned, we then go before our body, and we don't vote, because that's there's nothing in Scripture that says you should vote for your spiritual leaders. But what you want to do is just want to say, like, we've done all our due diligence, we've talked to all the circles of relationships we can, but hey, we want to know how many of you guys are going to bolt and get the heck out of here if we say this guy's going to be your pastor, because that's what an elder is, Okay. And uh, and Is there something we don't know? Is there something we missed? Here's all the due diligence we did, but we're asking you. Do you guys see what we see? And uh, and then we wait, you know, four to six weeks. We take meetings and we have conversations with people. And uh, and then we just kind of, like we will in a few days, go, hey, we've had all the conversations we think anybody wants to have, and the body is affirmed, but we have already seen. And so these men are now pastors of the church and have keys to the kingdom. And we think it's the beginning, not of the end, but more great days in the future. So uh, that's the last step in our process that we kind of go through. Love it. I love it. Yeah, it, it speaks to um, just how important the office is. We're not, you know, uh, so oftentimes, in, you know, people will hire someone on the board who, like you said earlier, Todd, they've got money or they've got influence or they've got, uh, they've got chops or will hire somebody uh, or bring someone onto the elder board who has just sh- shown inside the church. They lead a Sunday school class or a small group and they crush. Uh, they just kill it there. And we don't really know what's going on outside of that. And so I, it has been phenomenal to watch this due diligence uh, that you guys uh, kind of put people, uh, the, the process you guys put people through. I've, I've got a question. Um, you talked about earlier, like, who is actually qualified for this? Yeah. I mean, all, the, all these qualifications. Let's just pick one, managing your household. Uh, I've got four kids, you know, and sometimes we're out in public when my kids were little and they would completely freak out. Uh, you know, I've got kids who are disrespectful at times, but that's not, that's not what... Um, uh, would mark them, um, you know, on balance. But wh- how do you do? You grade on a curve here. Like who who can, who can uh, actually be an elder given those qualifications? Yeah, these these are characteristics. I mean, I'll just throw, I mean, it's the direction of your life, not perfection. Yeah, go ahead, Dean. Right. No, I was going to say very same thing. It's a theme. It's a what is your marked? What is your life marked by? Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self control. For me, 
uh, fear, anger, and control or the, the, when my f- flesh is fed, that's what it looks like. So the idea of disciplining myself for the purpose of godliness is preeminent in my mind every day because I know left to my own devices, I'm going to default to my flesh in that regard. So um, what we want to do is see in a guy's life where individually we're all going to be held responsible and we have weak, uh, good days and bad days. And so, but hopefully the general theme, the daily occurrence uh, leans towards faithfulness and obedience. And it's the same with our, our wives, the relationship with our wives, our kids. And so we're looking for themes, trends, um, highlights, not a, a momentary area of dysfunction. That's good. Yeah, that's, those are things that, that mark all these men that we're about to install. Yeah. And the, the one thing I'll note uh, for anyone that's looking to, to add elders is you need to be able to discern whether or not um, they're caring for their kids as opposed to not being involved. And so uh, for one of the gentlemen that's uh, going to be installed this week, I, three years ago, I personally had not spent time with him. And so uh, twice over the last two years, I've had his wife and kids get away with us for a weekend. And I'm able to see, does he live with his wife in an understanding manner? I'm able to see how he disciples his kids, how he responds uh, when his kids are unruly, as all of us are, uh, to make sure I can stand before God and say, I did the best I could to make sure that this person was and fill those things in. Really, really good. Um, just, you know, I'll add this again, just the idea of, and I, I, I hate to do this, but it'll loop back a little bit. You know, when it says in First Tim 3, 7, it says you must have a good reputation with those outside of the church. That's why we talk sometimes to non-believers in their life, bosses, employees, and, and whatnot. Um, and, and again, it, it talks about reputation here. Okay, and the reputation is, hey, that guy, not that he's perfect, but that guy is ruled by Christ. When he makes a mistake, he owns it. He walks in humility. And and absolutely, when you when you talk about how it relates to the family, you know, I I don't think that if you have a prodigal child, you're necessarily disqualified from being a pastor and elder. But you better be doggone sure that that prodigal child, okay, doesn't say, well, let me just tell you, what do you mean? Why do I hate God? Why am I chasing after rebellion? Do you know what my dad has said to me? Do you know what he's done to me? Do you know what he looks like to you, but the reality of living like him with? Now, that would disqualify a guy. But um, we do have instances where a kid goes, let me just tell you, man, I am right now. Uh, it isn't the father's fault. It's because I just, for whatever reason, could not resist the siren's call. And if there was ever a person set up to know the goodness of God based on the kindness of my father, the love of my father, the investment of my father, uh, the way he walked with Jesus, it's me. So... Yes, if I'm ever going to go back to a church, it's that guy's church. Meanwhile, I just can't say no to the nectar of sin. Pray for me, okay? Now, if a prodigal can't say that, okay, then I don't want his dad to be an elder. I don't want him to be doing anything but pursuing his son or his daughter, okay? But just having a child who's not walking in obedience doesn't disqualify you, but I would want that disobedient child to know that it matters to us what he thinks about his father, okay? Um, and by the way, you know, you don't take an accusation against an elder based on the testimony of one witness. And so what I would do is you might have three other siblings, you know, go, hey, I know he said that, but listen, we were there. Okay. And what he thinks about our father, you should not disqualify. If I was a devil, I'd get somebody to say what he's saying. And right now that brother of ours is chasing after the devil. Of course, he's saying that about our dad. Uh, we would testify differently. Okay, so I mean, look, guys, I I think that you ought to really, it matters deeply to me what kids think 
um, about their parent being a spiritual leader of the church. I don't have, I say this a lot, I don't have PKs, and these guys don't have EKs, elder kids, right, where they're told to behave um, because their daddy's an elder and they shouldn't make the church look bad. Uh, my, my kids, John, yours, Adam's, yours, uh, our, our kids love the church. Part of the reason they love the church is because their dad loves them. And if you got a church full of kids who don't respect their parents and don't want the God of their parents, you better not have those people leading your church, and you better admonish them even if they're members of it. And uh, just one last uh, thing to share, both for, for those who are in uh, the role of elders, as well as those that are leading a church where maybe they're not surrounded by elders. Uh, so for those that are elders, one common question uh, we get is, uh, what do you do when um, you feel like you know the right answer, but you know that the body is not going to like it, and you think people are going to leave? Um, and we just have to constantly remind one another uh, that sometimes the best way to grow a church is to shrink it, and that uh, we should not make decisions based on putting butts in seats. And just be faithful, because ultimately we're going to give an account to God uh, for shepherding the flock and, and leading the bride of Christ. And then for those who uh, maybe are in a role of leadership that are not surrounded by leaders, uh, I've spent a lot of time in Second Samuel over the last couple of weeks, and it's just been really humbling uh, to see uh, a man of God like David, who is um, arguably our greatest example in Scripture of a man after God's heart, and just see his stumbles, um, and his stumbles be it with um, Bathsheba or with his son Absalom when uh, when there was rebellion or at the end in, in the last chapter with the census is uh, either he was isolated and so no one was speaking into his life or when they spoke into his life like in chapter 24 he didn't listen and just encourage you if you're leading a church and you don't have a plurality of leaders that you make that your top priority uh, not only for yourself but uh, for all of those under your leadership all right, that was such a fun conversation. Again, if you want to read more about this, you can go to watermark.org slash elders. And if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to contact us via email. We can be reached at clp at watermark.org. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next time.